You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe that helps people who feel far from God to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. For more fresh content, check City Tribe on YouTube, Instagram, or Facebook. Enjoy the message and welcome to the tribe. Now here's Lee Wong. Happy holidays, City Tribe. Welcome. Glad you guys are here for week two of our series, Enrichmas. And our aim in this series is that we would go deeper and have greater depth, greater meaning to enrich your Christmas experience. Now, last week, uh, we had a very interesting conversation, which, by the way, is the foundation for these coming weeks. And so visit our City Tribe Media on YouTube to get caught up if you weren't here last week, because our conversation last week, we explored the account of John. And in John's account, we learned that Jesus is the light and that Jesus's light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And so the tradition that we adopted is that anytime we look at Christmas lights this season specifically, we are going to declare that truth. And we're going to be encouraged by that truth that light shines in the darkness. Darkness has not overcome it. Now today, as we continue this conversation, I'm going to get to share with you one of my favorite, all-time favorite scriptures. It's a scripture that I've said every single day, sometimes multiple times a day over the last 10 years. I say it so much in my house, my wife sometimes uses it against me. And so I'm excited to share that scripture with you today. So before we jump into our talk today, let's pray and invite God's spirit into our conversation. Heavenly Father, as always, we fix our attention on you. We center ourselves. We ask that you tear down whatever walls we might have come in here with, whatever distractions that might be on our mind. We ask that you help bring some clarity and some peace so that we could be attentive to whatever it is you want to do in us, through us. God, reveal yourself to us in a very specific way so that we would be changed by you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there's probably no greater evidence for what we all really want this Christmas than what's gone on in our world this year. So if you've watched any news channels for even just like five minutes, specifically over this fall, then you would have seen that all over the world from Hong Kong to Chile and Lebanon, all over the world. There's been this outpouring of displeasure with governing systems and established practices, established customs. There's this unprecedented explosion of people power. And it's kind of interesting to watch. And for the most part, it's been nonviolent. It's been peaceful. Millions have flooded the streets and they've stood together in unity to express their dissatisfaction with their current state of life, with their current quality of life. For example, housing is too expensive and jobs are too few. And then the few jobs that are available, the pay is like really insulting and taxes all around the world just keep rising. And so there's an entire generation of people that just feel shut out from ever being able to attain wealth. All the while, There are people in positions of power that are abusing their power and abusing public funds to increase their own wealth, thus creating this huge inequality gap. Millions are tired of feeling trapped in governments that are dominated by the same few families every single year. They don't trust traditional channels for change like voting, and they're demanding that their voice be heard. So 2019, if you haven't heard, it's been dubbed the year of the protester. 
And this year highlights humanity's longing for justice and compassion from administration. It highlights that every single one of us, that we all have this innate, this natural belief that people in power should be our champions, that they shouldn't be crooks, and that policy should be in place, not to hinder, but to help us experience the enriched life. What this highlights is that we all yearn for a sense of power, that is, a sense that we matter and that we can make a difference in this world. Now, unfortunately, protesting is unlikely to help us achieve this life because what's happening is that protests are actually proving to be more trendy than transformative. Their success rates are plunging drastically. In fact, governments have discovered and they're learning to just simply contain the protest and wait it out until everybody goes home and just shuts up. And so this idea, it reinforces that people power actually kind of matters a little less than being people in power. Now, you and I, we might not be actively protesting today. We didn't come in here with our poster boards, but I'm sure many of you would agree with me on this, that it sometimes feels like we don't matter at all to governing systems and institutions and establishments and major organizations, right? For example, like if we think about professional sports leagues, they don't seem to care about fandom. They don't seem to care about the best teams. What they seem to care about are the teams that generate the most money. And so officials, they will favor the more popular players. Like James Harden, how is he averaging 15 free throws a game and our guy DeMar can't even buy a foul, right? Frustrating. And Facebook and Google, for example, they don't really care about our privacy. What they care about is getting our information and our data so that they could advertise to us what we just spoke out loud for the first time two minutes ago. And they really don't even care about the spread of misinformation, right? All along your feeds, all throughout your feeds, your Thea keeps sharing fake news about Hillary. And somehow, <laughs> somehow, even though I know you can identify with this. Somehow, even though they are clearly, clearly guilty, the rich and the famous, they just get off with a slap on their wrist for their crimes. But that misstep, that foolish misstep you made many, many years ago, it's forever staying on your record and it's keeping you from getting an even better job. And think about this, insurance companies, they have zero problem taking money out of your check every two weeks, but they keep denying your claim and they reject your procedure. And pharmaceutical companies, how is it that they're always able to come up with some expensive treatment that you need for the rest of your life, but they can never find any cures? And maybe you've seen this, maybe you've experienced it firsthand. Your CEO, your boss, he's fantastic with partners and fantastic with the media and maybe even clients says all the right things. He's all about the mission, but then behind closed doors, you know he's all about the money and he mistreats people, right? We live in this world where we're made to feel like we don't matter at all. It feels like the very people who are in place to serve our interest have no interest in serving us at all. And the sentiment, it's very discouraging, right? It creates this anxiety in us concerning our future, like who's looking out for us? And if it doesn't create anxiety for you, then you know, perhaps it 
leads to discouragement. It's very discouraging. It makes us feel like we have no ability to make a difference in the world. It makes us feel like there's no hope of ever seeing any social change and that we could ever really experience this enriched life that we talked about last week, a life of purpose and passion and peace and promise. And if you've ever felt that, if you've ever felt like you don't matter, and maybe this is a constant thought that you have, that your voice is unheard, well then, you should be really concerned. And you should pay attention to this because according to Dr. Keltner, he is one of the foremost experts in the world on the science of power. He's at UC Berkeley in California. He says that the greatest threat facing our society today is powerlessness. People feeling like they don't matter. His research has found that individuals who feel powerless, who feel they don't matter, they're more likely to suffer from diseases and chronic illnesses. They're going to be more likely to live shorter lives. They battle hypertension and high blood pressure, cervical cancer, chronic arthritis. Feeling powerless, feeling like you don't matter, it literally damages your brain, biologically speaking. It impacts your ability to think. It impacts your ability to plan. It impacts your ability to have any sort of meaningful relationship whatsoever. You're more likely to have a shorter temper, abuse substances, and you're more likely to attract bullies and be physically abused. Ultimately, feeling powerless, feeling like we don't matter, it undermines our ability to experience the enriched life. And as this year, 2019, the year of protesters has highlighted for us, none of us want to resign to that kind of life, right? We want to stand up against that. So if protesting is not the answer, when we are made to feel powerless, when we're made to feel like we don't matter, then what are we to do? How might we feel like we matter once again? How might we acquire some power so that we can enrich our lives? Well, the answer is found in the details of Jesus's birth recorded by a man named Luke. Now, Luke recorded his account, his detailed account about Jesus in 85 AD. So here's some context as to what was going on in the world at that time. At that time, Rome still dominated the world. They were the dominant world power, conquering everything, and their emperor was Domitian. Now, Domitian was an unlikely politician. He was a very paranoid and sensitive individual. He fired or executed anybody who didn't align with his views, and he lacked charisma. He was a terrible communicator. He had horrible posture, and he had a protruding belly, and he was so insecure about his hair that he would wear wigs or head coverings. Now, I know what some of y'all are thinking. This sounds eerily familiar. And uh, you're not wrong to think that. Like, I've thought the exact same thing, too. And I'm not trying to be divisive. I'm not trying to alienate any groups here, right? We're all welcoming. But you guys all have to admit that it sounds a lot like we're describing Emperor Palpatine, right? <laughs> I know there's some pro-palps in here. Like, hey, everybody is welcome. Now, Domitian. Domitian was on a mission. He 
was going to make a name for himself. He was going to restore Rome to its full glory. He was going to have this huge empire and be worshipped as a god. And so he enforced this really, really harsh tax on Jews and on Christians to get a whole bunch of money so that he can build up this empire. And anyone who so much as practiced Judaism or who practiced customs like Jews and Christians, there was no real big distinction among them in the first century, well, they were forced to pay this tax. And his staffers had a unique way of collecting this tax. So let me remind you that this is the same Roman Empire that instituted crucifixion as a form of punishment. And so these tax collectors weren't showing up to your door with a white button-up and a black tie and a smile. No, no, no. These guys, they were harsh. They herded men, women, and children into these sort of concentration camps. And then men were stripped naked in front of large crowds, and they were examined to see if they were circumcised, which was an indicator of the kind of faith and customs that they practiced. And so victims were tortured until they paid taxes on property that they didn't even own, taxes on property that didn't even exist. It's said that screams from those camps could be heard from several miles away all day and all night. Individuals with disabilities, they were dragged before examiners and men and women, husbands and wives, they were forced to testify against each other. Sons were forced to testify against their fathers. This tax collection, it was demoralizing. It was dehumanizing. It was humiliating. The people felt powerless. They felt like they didn't even matter at all. They were discouraged that they could ever experience this enriched life that Jesus offered five decades prior. So, given their sense of powerlessness, given the sentiment that they didn't matter, what encouragement did they have that they could actually live a better life, live an enriched life? Well, let's re-enter into the conversation, Luke. So, around this time in 85 AD, Luke's account about Jesus, his detailed account, it began to circulate and make the rounds among the disheartened followers. And because Luke was devoted to exactness in all of his research, encouragement was in the details of his writing. And so pay attention to what he detailed in his account of the first Christmas. In the angels' exchange with Jesus's mother Mary, Luke recorded this. You can follow along on the wall. Behold, You will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall name him Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the what? Most high. He will be called son of the most high. Now, when you and I read or hear this portion of the Christmas story, maybe when it was read to us when we were children or maybe now when we read it to our children the fact that Jesus would be called most high, it's kind of a detail that we would normally just gloss over. It's not one of those inspiring scriptures that you're probably going to adopt as a life verse. It's probably not one of those scriptures that you're excited to get a tattoo on your body about, right? And it's not one of the first scriptures that come to mind to send to a friend when he or she is discouraged. But for Luke's disheartened, discouraged, powerless audience, that Jesus would be called most high. It wasn't a detail that they would just gloss over. They would have paused. And then they would have praised. And then they would have been emboldened with power. Why? What was so significant about Jesus being called most 
high? Well, first of all, calling Jesus most high was a direct challenge, a slap in the face to Emperor Domitian. It was an offense that was punishable by death because Domitian believed that that he was Lord and God, that he was Savior of the world. But Luke, he didn't record this part of the Christmas story to incite a rebellion or to insult Domitian. He had a completely different agenda. You see, this title, Most High, it's an important name to the Jews, to early Christians. It's the Hebrew name, Elion. Now, I want you to consider this for a second. Many of y'all have probably seen the movie E.T. Those of you who have not, ask your parents. It's a very old movie. And if you think about E.T., he puts up his finger, right? Like, if you think about his pictures, he has this finger. So y'all put up a finger with me real quick. The pointer one, please. The pointer finger. (laughs) And then E.T. is known for saying Eliot, right? So keep your finger up. And instead of saying Eliot, we're going to say Elion, all right? So on the count of three, Elion, like E.T. would. One, two, three. Elion. Thank you for the raspy voice over there. Elion. And so Elion, I just taught you a name of God. Elion. He is the one true God, the most high. He is supreme over all of creation. He is deliverer. He is redeemer. Elion is the power that overpowers people who have power over you. Elion overpowers whoever has power over you. This is what the first century discouraged readers would have understood and believed. But also when they heard this name, when they saw this name in Luke's text, they would have been reminded of a very popular, often told story, an encouraging story. And so we're going to break right here. And I'm going to tell you that story. And then we'll come back to our conversation about Luke. All right, you going to stay with me? All right, so here's the story. 500 years before the rise of the Roman Empire, the dominant world power was Babylon. And the Babylonian king was King Nebuchadnezzar. And much like Domitian, Nebuchadnezzar believed he was the most high, that he was savior of the world, that he was going to usher in peace and prosperity. And he demanded to be worshiped as such. That is until a Jewish prophet, a messenger of God, confronted him and told him a very powerful message. The prophet Daniel said to him, he told him this truth, he said, the most high is sovereign over all kingdoms and he gives them to anyone he wishes. The most high Elion is sovereign over all kingdoms and he gives them to whoever he wishes. And so Daniel's message to King Nebuchadnezzar was this, like, hey, while you might boast of your conquests, while you might boast of your greatness and you expect everyone to bow down to you, there is a true most high, the one true God, Elion, and he overpowers your power. And in fact, the only reason that you are in, pos- in power is because he has allowed you to be. And so Nebuchadnezzar is eventually faced with his humanity and he eventually accepts Daniel's message as true. And then he praises Elion, the most high, as the one true God. And then he swore to tear apart anyone, limb from limb, who made any sort of offensive comments against Elion. And thus, thus, the Most High, 
Elion's followers, they were allowed to live in peace and in prosperity. They were allowed to experience this enriched life. End of story. So now back to our conversation about Luke. Learning or hearing that Jesus would be called the most high, this detail in that Christmas story, it would have encouraged his readers about their future and how it would play out. It would have reminded them of this story about Nebuchadnezzar and how everything changed for the better because God overpowered him. So in effect, Luke's message to his readers and his message to us today is this. Look, I know you feel powerless. I know you're disillusioned. I know you're dissatisfied with people in power. But Jesus, Elion, the true most high, he overpowers whoever has power over you. Now, this should encourage you. This should be incredibly inspiring because that's exactly what happened in the same way God used Nebuchadnezzar, in the same way Jesus used Nebuchadnezzar, the same thing happened for the Roman Empire. Because today you and I have the privilege of being able to look back on history. And here's what we know. We know that Domitian, he wasn't as most high as he originally believed because a few, a few years after Luke wrote his account, he was assassinated. And unlike Jesus, Domitian stayed dead. But because of all of those harsh taxes, he was able to pave these intricate road systems. And through these intricate road systems, the story about Jesus and his power was able to spread all throughout the Roman Empire. It was so impactful. It was so influential that a later emperor, Constantine, he accepted Jesus as most high. And then he fell in love with Jesus's teachings. And so Christianity was eventually legalized and Christians were paid restitution. They were paid back for all of their pain Followers of Jesus began to be favored and they were put in high positions. Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire. And so these folks started to experience the enriched life and they were used to create policies. They were used to create ideologies and a culture that still influences our world today. And so just as it happened with Nebuchadnezzar, Jesus used the Roman Empire to prove that he is Elion, that he is most high. Jesus proved that he overpowers whoever has power over you. Now, you might be thinking, those who are skeptics like me, like, really? Like, can we really trust this? What evidence have we today that Jesus is sovereign, that he is most high? I thought you'd never ask. First of all, let me plug again last week's talk. In it, we explored some pretty compelling evidence for how Jesus is still at work in our world today. So again, go to our YouTube channel, City Tribe Media, get caught up on that. And now to add to it though, here's how else you can be sure that Jesus is the true most high. And so I need a little engagement from you guys here. This is a little interactive portion, all right? By a show of hands, I'm gonna ask a question. If it applies to you, go ahead and raise your hand. Now, do you know someone alive today named Nebuchadnezzar? If so, go ahead and raise your hand. I'll accept Nebi or Nebu. And I don't know what's going on in the video cafe, 
I don't know about you who are participating right now online, but at least here in the cameo, the main theater, I don't see any hands up. So if this applies to you, go ahead and raise your hand. Do you know someone alive today named Domitian? If you know someone alive today named Domitian, raise your hand. And Dominic doesn't count. It's a completely different name. Again, I don't see any hands up. If you know someone named Daniel or Danny, Dano, Danny boy, go ahead and raise your hand and keep your hand up. All right, keep your hand up. And if you know someone named Luke or Luca, go ahead and raise your hand and keep your hand up. Now, if you know someone named Jesus or Jesus alive in our world today, or if you have a Theo Chui, all the hands should go up. Everybody has a Theo Chui. Even I do. Hands up. Right? So for those who are in the video cafe, for those who are watching online, virtually every hand in this cameo theater was up. Interesting, right? No hands were up for Nebuchadnezzar. No hands were up for Domitian. And so despite their best efforts to promote themselves, despite their best efforts to build these grand empires, their influence today is virtually a non-factor. And check this. So here's a map. At the height of the Babylonian empire, this is how much they had conquered. This is how much influence in the world they had on my left. And on the right, this is the height of the Roman Empire. This is how much land and influence they had overcome and conquered. Now, 2,000 years later, these things aren't really in existence, but look at what Jesus' influence is like in our world today. This, is every, this represents every Christian on our planet. Whereas most icons, cultural icons, have a following that declines after about 100 years, Jesus' following only continues to grow. 2,000 years later, currently, there are 2.4 billion followers of Jesus in our world. So that means, walking around, one out of every three individuals regards Jesus as the most high God. And according to Pew Research, out of the 232 countries and territories in our world today, 157 have Christian majorities. That's over 70%. And throughout history, all throughout history, 98 nations or empires have overtly stated that they were founded upon the teachings of Jesus, that they have policies, that they have a culture that's modeled after what Jesus taught. And accordingly, there are about 30,000 plus cities or towns that have a name in reverence to Jesus being most high. And now there is a very iconic building all throughout the world that everybody would recognize, McDonald's, right? McDonald's is dedicated to the worship of fast food. There's about 37,000 McDonald's all throughout the world. But Jesus, the most high, has about 37 million buildings and monuments dedicated to his worship. So this is a lot of heady stuff, a lot of thinker stuff, a lot of numbers. I get that. But here's my point. Jesus's influence in our world today is, dare I say, godlike. It's most high. Nothing else comes close to his influence. He has reigned supreme over all other powers, and he has done so for two thousand years. And this is why you can be encouraged. And so be encouraged if you're dissatisfied with your arrogant boss who parades around like she's God. 
You don't need to badmouth her. You don't need to politic. You can remember that the most high Jesus is sovereign and he overpowers whoever has power over you. If you're distrusting of a certain politician, you don't like his platform, you don't need to mudsling or be divisive on social media. You can just remember that the most high Jesus is sovereign and he overpowers whoever has power over you. If you're disillusioned that your voice isn't heard, that your vote doesn't count, that your life doesn't matter, remember the most high Jesus is sovereign and he overpowers whoever has power over you. And if you've been wronged, if you're a victim of abuse, you don't need to plot your revenge because the most high Jesus is sovereign and he will overpower whoever's overpowered you. And now I get it. I know it's a bit dismissive to say, hey, I, I know you feel powerless. I know you feel like you don't matter, but uh, just trust that Jesus is at work in our world today, right? That's kind of insensitive. And so it would be helpful to know, like, what is Jesus's grander plan anyway, right? What are we enduring for? How can we be excited about our future when people in power make us feel like we don't matter at all? Well, both Daniel and Luke recorded what the Most High has planned for us. Their details are why we can continue to be encouraged, why we can continue to endure. Daniel wrote, he will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but itself will endure forever. And then Luke echoed it. He said, he will reign forever and his kingdom will have no end. And so, it's not that fixing our eyes on Jesus as being the most high, as being Elion, it's not that this truth is dismissive. I mean, your feelings of powerlessness are very real. I'm sure your boss is a terrible manager. I'm sure that politician is without a doubt imperfect. And I'm sorry you've been made to feel like you don't matter. It's just that this truth, it shifts our focus from the mess and the circumstances that we're currently in to the end game. It fixes our eyes away from what is temporary to what is eternal. And while you and I might not see clearly how Jesus is working, and he's obviously at work as we saw, and while our life in the here and now, it might not pan out according to our desires, you can rest assured that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is most high, that he is Elion. And then you can you can trust that whenever you put your faith in the Most High, you are no longer just a citizen of this world, but your citizenship lies in a kingdom that is yet to come. A kingdom in which the scriptures say the wolf will dwell with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the young goat. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra and people will live in peaceful habitation and in secure dwellings and in undisturbed resting places. Meaning, it will be a perfectly administered government, free from the abuse of power, free from disillusionment, free from disappointments, that Jesus is most high. It is a reminder for us that no matter who presides over our organizations, our institutions, our nation, that Jesus is already at work ushering in a kingdom with no end. And because that kingdom will endure forever, that means you will endure forever. And so our feelings of powerlessness, our disappointments, all of that will be a blink in the eye of eternity. And so it's from this truth, fixing our eyes on this truth that Luke wanted us to find power and live an enriched 
life. It is this truth that is the heart and the spirit of the Christmas experience. And so practically, practically, what would it look like for you today to demonstrate that you believe Jesus is Elion, most high, and that he is sovereign? In a world where we're made to feel like we don't matter and like we're powerless, how might we attain a certain level of power and security and make a difference? Well, again, the power lies in Luke's details. He recorded this from what Jesus had said. Jesus said, I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. The way to demonstrate that you believe Jesus is sovereign, that he is most high, is to bless those who have had power over you. And Jesus goes on to say that everyone who hears these words, everyone who acts on them, it's like a man who's built his house on a strong foundation that has dug deep and is embedded in rocks. And so when storms come, this house will not be moved. It will not be shaken because it was well built. Meaning you will be grounded in a source of power that is unearthly. And so what's interesting about this is uh, it lines up perfectly with what Dr. Keltner's research demonstrates about how to have enduring power, how to feel once again like we matter. In fact, he says here, the key to enduring power is simple. Stay focused on the good of other people. And when you do this, you'll be happier, healthier, and more productive. You will experience the enriched life. And this is what we've been trying to do in this series, right? To enrich our Christmas experience, to not focus on our circumstances, but to make the most of the life that Jesus comes to offer. And so, here's what I'm inviting you to do. Another invitation, another new tradition. I'm inviting you to take on a tradition that demonstrates we do believe Jesus is Elion, that he is most high and that he overpowers whoever has had power over us. I'm inviting you to turn your disappointments and your discouragements into blessings for other people and prayers for them. So I'm going to ask you three questions. And your responses to these questions, your answers, I want you to turn into a Christmas card or a letter or an email to somebody who has mistreated you or has made you feel like you don't matter. That's how we demonstrate we believe God's sovereignty. So here are the questions. Question number one, who has made you feel powerless? You only have to choose one person. Who has made you feel insignificant? Who's made you feel like you don't matter? I imagine it comes to mind pretty quickly. Question two, as hard as it may be, 
what good do you still believe about them? This person who's belittled you, made you feel insignificant, what good can you still find in them that you believe about them? Question number three. How would you like Jesus, the most high, to enrich their life? How would you like Jesus, the most high, to enrich their life? And again, your responses to that, I'm encouraging you to take on this new tradition, which represents the true meaning of Christmas, that Jesus overpowers anyone who has ever had power over us. And he has told us to listen and to love them and to honor them and to bless them. So turn that into a card, turn that into a letter, turn that into an email. And as hard as it is, just continue to fix your eyes on this truth that the Most High Jesus, Elion, he is sovereign and he overpowers everyone who's ever had power over you. Remember 
and I kind of agree with Dr. Keltner that the signature problem in our world today, people are facing is a sense of powerlessness, a sense that they don't even matter, a sense that they're not loved. And so my encouragement to you is to internalize the truth in these lyrics that God is madly in love with you and you and you online. Matter of fact, tell the person next to you, God is in love with you. But you know the reality of this is that as madly in love with you as God is, he's as madly in love with the person who's had power over you, with the person who's disappointed you, with the person who's made you feel like you don't matter. And that's really the heart of this Christmas season, that God was so madly in love that he came down, that he might show us a different way, that we could experience an enriched life, a life of purpose, passion, and peace, a life where we know that we matter because he laid down his life to show just how much he loves us. And that's what he's asking of you. He's asking that you would do the same. And so let us prophesy this Christmas season by speaking good to others, by doing loving acts to people who have done mean things to us. Let us write these letters of encouragement because it's not that Jesus overpowers who's overpowered us. It's that his love overpowers who has overpowered us. And that is the heart of the Christmas season, that Jesus is most high, that he is sovereign and love overpowers all. today sweet wine of Yeah.
We're glad you're a part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check citytribe.church.